us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. And I have a big announcement today. I have a big congratulations to give to, I guess, myself and the Lundloop Podcast, because we are in the top 1% of podcasts in the world. How can that be? How can the lowly Lundloop Podcast, the secret Lundloop Podcast, be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world. Well, here's how. According to Reddit, which is the ultimate source for information, 90% of podcasts don't get past episode three. That means there's 1.8 million podcasters who quit by episode three. Of the 200,000 left, 90% that's 90, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. That means another 180,000 podcasters gone. So in order to be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you only need to publish 21 episodes. Would you like to guess what episode this is? It is episode 21 of the Lundloop podcast. So we are officially in the top 1%. I still don't know what's going to happen with this podcast. I still don't know if it's going to continue, if it's worth continuing. I don't really know if anyone's getting any value out of it. I can tell you, for me, it's like a version of writing. It's helping to clear my mind on different ideas, different thoughts. So I'll probably keep doing it. I don't know. We'll just see where it goes from here. In a few minutes, I am going to talk about something that... uh, I guess I would describe it as the hierarchy of inputs that we use as traders. But first, I want to talk a little bit about how I view the Lund Loop, particularly given the fact that this week I wrote about fraudulent BS trading services, and I talked a lot about marketing and how it's really easy to tell the fraudulent services by the way they market. At first, I want to give a little bit of context on the Lund Loop. Some of the longer term subscribers will already know a little bit of this, but I think it might be the new subscribers will appreciate this. And I think even uh, long term subscribers, there'll be some stuff that you don't know. And also, of course, my gardener is starting. So forgive me if you hear some buzzing in the background. All right. So in 2005, I sold a business that I had for a long time and uh, I did it for a couple reasons. Uh, I talked about this on our previous podcast is that I was working so often, uh, six days a week, 14, 16 hours a day, about to have kids. So I knew I would either be a a a-hole father, an absentee father. I didn't want to do that. But I also wanted to take a shot at trading full time. The whole time that I owned this business, I traded actively almost every day because I owned the business. I could do what I wanted. I was at a desk and so I traded a lot. But I, I was really done with this business. I wanted to sell it get on to a different phase in my life. So I sold it, started trading full time. And I quickly found out that I was over trading. I had a really hard time transitioning from the mindset of a business owner where you're constantly doing something 
to the mindset of a full-time trader where there's many times when you should be doing nothing. In fact, it's bad to be doing something. So I found myself over trading and after a year or so, I realized that I would have to figure out a way to bide my time when I shouldn't be in the market, when the, the environment in the market was not optimal for me to try to make money. And so on a whim, I decided to start a blog. Now, I had not written a word since my high school year. I, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, I went to college for, I think, a half of a quarter. And I don't think there was anything to write there. So probably the last thing I wrote before the blog was, you know, maybe a term paper my senior year. But blogs were easy to start up. They seemed to be a cool thing. So I got a WordPress blog and I just started writing. And really in the beginning, it was a online journal. That was it. I wrote anonymously because first of all, I was really insecure about writing. Again, not having written for 20 some odd years, at least. Well, let's see, uh, 2005, 2007 is when I started it. So like, yeah, 22 years, I hadn't really written anything. Um, I also wasn't really confident in my ability to explain what was going on in my head. So I wrote anonymously, but it was publicly. And I don't know how this happened. I still can't figure it out, but people started to find this blog. Maybe just because there weren't a lot of blogs at that time, I don't know. But people would ask questions in the comment section. Why did you do this on this trade? You know, what was your mindset on this? People found my email address. I don't know how they did that. And they emailed me. So I started conversing with these people and it was kind of fun. And it was helping me really distill and refine what I was doing in the market. So I did that for a few years. And then out of the blue in 2010, I got a call from Phil Perlman. Those of you who know Phil from Twitter, also Dr. Phil Perlman, who does the fantastic Prime Cuts Substack newsletter. Shout out Phil Perlman. If you are somewhere from 35 and above and you're trying to figure out how to stay healthy, both uh, with what you eat and how you work out, check out that newsletter. It's free. It's Prime Cuts. He really distills down some common sense, easy ways to stay healthy as we get older. Anyway, so Phil at that time was the head of community, I think head of community or maybe head content editor, some, some online title at StockTwits. And I picked up the phone. He says, is Brian Lund? I said, yeah. He said, Bubba, he called me Bubba. Bubba, I love your writing. You got a great voice. You got a great angle. And I love it. And I was stunned. Long story short, he said, hey, would you like to join the StockTwits blog network? Back then, StockTwits had this network of bloggers that they had cobbled together. And of course, I was like, in my head, no way. I'm not joining that network because the people that were writing on that network, at least in my mind, were just levels ahead of me. That network back then had, of course, Howard Lindzen, who was the founder of StockTwits, Josh Brown, the reform broker, James Altucher, Brian Shannon, J.C. Peretz, Joe Fami, and a ton of other people that were just fantastic writers, uh, really knew how to write about markets and trading, pumped out great content every day. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I belong in that league. Not only that, but I'm super lazy. There's no way I'm going to be able to consistently 
pump out quality content. So of course I said, yes, I'll do it. Because I had figured out, even back then, that I had to hack my lazy nature. I'm lazy by nature, but my sense of commitment trumps my sense of laziness. So by saying, yes, I commit, I knew that I could hack my laziness. I knew that it would force me to honor my obligations and to write consistently for Stock Twins. And that's what I did. And I wrote for them. And if I look back on those blog posts now and I cringe because they're just, they're written horribly. There's too many quotes. There's, it's too cutesy. It's too, it just, it's really bad. But whatever. I was writing. I was learning how to write. So I did that for a few years and then the Stock Twits Blog Network kind of dissolved and we ended up just taking over our blogs by ourselves independently. So I was still doing stuff on my blog. And then another weird thing happened. Out of the blue, people started to reach out to me and ask if I would write for their publication. The first one was SFO Magazine, Stocks, Futures and Options Magazine, which was a physical magazine. They asked me to write a piece on overnight trading. So I said yes. Then I got hit up by, I think, Trader Planet. And then Trader's World, the magazine, they asked me. So these people kept asking me. It was crazy. I, again, couldn't even believe it. Again, a guy who hasn't written since 1985. And now people are asking me to write for him. Whatever. What, what idiots they are. Then something even crazier happened. People started to ask me to write for them for money. Actual money. So AOL's Daily Finance, Yahoo Finance, TD Ameritrade, um, some some uh, some futures firm out of Chicago. I can't remember their name. A bunch of these people. They were paying me. It was crazy. So I started doing that. Got my name out there a little bit more in the writing community. But after doing that for a couple of years, I decided I don't think I want to do this anymore. And even though they were paying me, I had to deal with editors and they... Some of them gave me a little bit of latitude, but they really wanted me to write about their topic and write about their topic the way they wanted it um, framed. So I was kind of like a freelancer and I really didn't like that. The creativity was squashed. I couldn't drop F-bombs, you know? So I said, I think I'm just gonna shut this down and I continued to do my blog, but I was very spotty. I had no nobody to basically commit to. I wasn't on the Stock Twits blog network. I wasn't committing to people that were giving me money. So I got lazy. At that point, blogs kind of started to go out of fashion. So I decided to switch over to the newsletter model. First, I was on MailChimp and I was embarrassingly inconsistent. I would do two, three, four emails in a row and then I wouldn't do one for four months. And then I'd write that, you know, that apology email or post that everyone does like, Hey, I'm sorry. I haven't been around for a while. I've been busy. I'm trying to find my motivation, you know, but I'm getting back to it right now. And I'd send that and I would do two more and then I drop off for another six months. It's amazing. Anybody stuck with me. So I was with MailChimp for a while. I think then I switched over to something called tiny letter. And then, um, not even really a friend, but someone I had interacted with, um, named Aaron Griffin, who's a, now a writer for the, the New York Times, a great writer. She said, hey, I'm switching to this thing called Substack. And I think it's going to be really cool and you should do it. So I switched over to Substack. I think this was 2018. Am I in 2017? I don't know. Started writing, started writing for free again. 
Uh, very inconsistent. Hey, I'm going to write a lot now than I wouldn't write. And then I figured out I needed that commitment. I needed to have that commitment back. And so I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to charge a really low amount of money. I'm going to charge a super low amount of money compared to other trading services and letters. And it's going to do two things. One, it's going to hack my laziness. When I get to Friday and I'm lazy and I don't want to do the newsletter, which, by the way, benefits me, I'd say, no, people have, have given me money. I've made a commitment to them. And that means I have to do this even if I have to stay up till one in the morning and do it. And so that enabled me to commit and to start writing content on a regular basis. Well, what happened after that is the Lundloop newsletter just kept growing. I kept adding stuff. At first, it was just a little bit of me running my mouth. And then it was a couple of charts. And then I started adding videos. And you know the score. You know where we're at now, right? We have a Discord and all these different things and this podcast that you're listening to. And so at some point, I said, you know what? I need to raise the price a little bit more for two reasons. One is I thought there was real value in what I was offering. At first, it was just a chance to to motivate me to write on a regular basis. But then I said, you know, I think this is a decent, you know, decent product. And I think it, it's it's justifiable to, to charge a little bit more, still not not expensive compared to 99% of the letters out there. But the other thing was, so we're getting a lot of riffraff. We're getting a lot of riffraff that we're getting into the Lunloop community, particularly in the Discord. And that's the thing I wanted to avoid. I feel like this is a two-way commitment. Like I commit to subscribers, members, to give a certain amount of content on a regular basis. But I feel like people that are part of the Lunloop community are committing to, you know, being involved, and you don't have to be involved, but you know what I mean. You're committed to, to being a decent person and to interacting at a certain standard and helping when you can. And so too many people were becoming members that were just a-holes. So I thought I'm going to raise price just a little bit more, um, both for the value of the, the product and also just to filter out um, the, the, the proletariat, right? People have asked me before, why don't you open the Discord up to everybody? You could probably get hundreds and thousands of people coming into the Discord. Exactly, I could, and I do not want that. I want this Discord and this community to stay the way it is, a high quality. You know, I haven't had to kick one person out of the Discord in like a year and a half because everybody gets it. Everybody's here to be helpful, to be supportive. Um, it's a great community, and I, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. So anyway, so... That's where we got the Lundoop to where it is today. So in terms of marketing the Lundoop, I'm really, really bad at marketing. And the reason I'm really, really bad at marketing is because I don't like to be marketed to myself and I never really started this to be a money-making endeavor. And so I try every now and then like on you know holidays to send out a, Hey, here's a discount for your first year or something. It's, it's lame. I'm no good at it. But I want to tell you a little inside baseball story about the, the history of the Lund Loop and, and how it relates to marketing. So because I was an early adopter of Substack, they've been super supportive. In fact, in the early days, I was on a Slack with about 20 other people 
including the CEO, the CFO, the founders of Slack. And I just literally would talk to him, hey, why don't you do this with the product? And how come we can't get this? And so I've been there pretty much since the beginning. And I have to tell you, they've been fantastic. They've been super supportive. They put uh, the Lund Loop on the, the homepage, which I get traffic from there. Uh, they've asked me to be on um, webinars to you know talk to other Lund Loop um, newsletter authors to help them out and give them some insights, whatever insights I have for the four or five years I've been doing this. And in addition to that, last year in like, uh, this is like October of last year, they reached out to me and offered to hook me up with a ad agency. They said, we will pay for an ad agency to run a marketing campaign for you. And not only that, we will pay for the ad placement, like on YouTube or Facebook, for three months. That's a lot of money. And of course, what am I going to say? No. So they hooked me up with this ad agency. It was a really cool agency. It was a lot of young, hip guys and gals. They were all remote, so they were located around the world. There was literally like a guy in Canada. There's someone in Russia. There was a girl in Spain. I mean, it was really cool. And I liked them. I thought they were, uh, you know, they weren't douche chilly uh, ad guys and gals, but they were still ad people. And they had some ideas on how to structure the Lun Loop. One was to create two different tiers of the Lun Loop. I think we called it the Lun Loop Lite and the Lun Loop Premium. And the idea was, is people would sign up for free. Uh, you know, you, you get them, you, the way marketing works is you, you tr try to get someone in the top of the funnel, which means you get them in for free and you try to give them some free content and no obligation. But then you try to move them down the funnel to, to a paid subscriber where they get the full experience, where they can be fully part of the community, where they can get in the Discord. Um, and so they decided Lunloop Lite would be you know the free people and Lunloop Premium would be the people uh, that paid. Fine, whatever. They had me do some, um, I had to film some videos, which were just basically me with my webcam. And they crafted these stories that they wanted to push out on Facebook and YouTube ads. And again, really good guys were not doing anything that was unethical. They weren't doing anything that was even untrue, but there's just a certain douchey angle you have to go after in marketing. And especially when it's marketing for a trading product like this, because there is just so much um, misinformation out there about what you know, about what trading is about and particularly about what this service is about, right? And I, from day one, I've never said that this is a pick service. Like I will tell you what to buy and what to sell. You know, that's never been the idea. The idea of this service is to help identify opportunities, to help get a community, to support each other, to, to have a lots of eyes on the market. Um, but it's not a pick service. So anyway, these ads that they wanted me to do, I'd say like, Three out of five, I just said, I can't do that. And they're like, well, this one really works well. And then we've seen the conversion rate. I, said, I know, I get it, but I can't do it. I just can't do it. I cannot in good conscience do it. Uh, and so I said no to a lot of them. Um, but anyway, so we did this marketing thing. And the funny thing about it is the people that we attracted were just the total wrong people that we the people we don't want to have in the Lun Loop community. And, and my apologies if there's anybody in the Lun Loop community right now that came here through one of those Facebook ads or those YouTube ads. But if you're still here, you are the type of person. I'm talking about the other people. Because 
they were just coming to the service for the wrong reason. They were coming there because we were trying to make an ad that was, you know, cool and engaging. It reminds me of a long time ago when I was trying to raise my listener, or not my listenership, hello, my my um, email list on, on my uh, blog a long time ago. And I was trying to read all these things about how to get more, you know, subscribers. And one of them was do a giveaway. Hey, do a giveaway. And the way the giveaway works is you have this plugin and people put their email address in and they get one credit towards the giveaway. And if they share it, they get another credit. And if people sign up because they signed up, they get more. And then the more credits they get, the better the chance they have to winning the, the giveaway. And, and what should you give away? Give away like an iPhone. So I, I gave away an iPhone and I got like 3000 people signed up for the Lunloop uh, website. And then I gave away the, the iPhone. And then guess what? Basically all 3,000 of those people didn't engage, didn't do anything. Most of them dropped off. And I realized, oh, no duh. I didn't get people that were interested in trading. I didn't get people that were interested in process and methodology and learning about the real truth about trading and how to get better. I got people that just want a fucking iPhone. No duh. Well, that's the problem when you do marketing for a, a trading service is you... You can't say trading's tough. You can't say there's a lot of work. You can't say you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You can't say you're going to probably lose money to start. You have to have this, you know, hey, look at what we did here and we made 50% here. And, you know, and that may be true, but you don't show the warts. And I just felt like it's just not, it's, it's disingenuous. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. And that's the thing that bugs me about these goddamn fraudulent services out there. Now, you guys all know, which ones I'm talking about, I'm sure, is that they just paint this picture of perfection in trading and they make it seem like it's so easy and then they charge people an arm and a leg and then when when all their promises don't come through, they drop these people like a hot potato. So anyway, that's just a little bit of background about how I feel about the Lun Loop in contrast to other trading services out there and really what the Lun Loop's all about and how we kind of got here. Uh-huh. All right, so let's talk about something that, for lack of a better saying, I'm going to call the hierarchy of inputs for traders. So the past few months, I've been doing a lot of these Twitter spaces, and it's a good exercise because I get to talk to a very broad swath of people. A lot of people that are younger, that are newer to trading, don't really have the experience or the cycles through the market to know what it's all about. And I was on a spaces, I think last week, with Joe Fami and a couple other people. And a young guy asked a question about the commitment of traders report. This is a report that talks about, uh, it's basically based around the futures. And it's something that you used to get in paper format You'd see it in the back of technical analysis of stocks and commodities magazine. Now you can get the information digitally. And it's supposed to give you a idea of basically the commitment of traders, like what traders are thinking, what they're positioning themselves in. And some people think it's very informative to what's going on in the market. So this kid, he identified himself as in his early 20s. He was new to trading. And he said, hey, I found this commitment of traders thing and it, it does this and it does that. And I have been trying to figure out how to put it into my methodology. And I used it once and it worked out really good. 
And basically, he was very excited and very enthusiastic about it. And it reminded me of me when I was first trying to figure out trading for the first 10 or 15 years. And what I said to him is I said, look, I want to commend you on your enthusiasm. And I want to commend you for learning. And I want to commend you for looking in different places to get information to help you in your trading career. You're already ahead of most people just by doing that, being thoughtful about your process. But there's a danger when you're starting out, and there's also a danger when you've been doing this for a long time, if you're not careful, of trying to find too much significance in one thing. It could be something like the commitment of traders report. It could be in a certain study or an indicator. And especially when you're new and you don't understand the context, people, they tend to think there's something they can find that nobody else has found. Like, I'm going to find this unique thing. I talked a couple weeks ago about people that want to find very obscure stocks that nobody else is trading. The idea being, aha, I'll be in something that nobody else knows about. And because of that, I can benefit. People often think this way when it comes to formulating their methodology. And I get it. I did it myself. But after doing this for so many years and making all the mistakes that I don't want you guys to make, the way I look at a methodology is it has to have a hierarchy. You have to rank what's the most important thing, the overall number one thing that you'll pay attention to above everything else. And then you figure out your number two thing and your number three thing. And it doesn't have to be that analytical. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know numbered. But you have to understand where everything fits in. So for example, seasonality. We've talked a lot about seasonality and how September is the worst month ever for stocks traditionally. Now, if you put seasonality at the top of your hierarchy, meaning if that's the most important thing you pay attention to, you might be tempted to say, I'm not going to trade during September. Or you might be tempted to say, every rally is a chance to get short. Or every rally is a chance to lighten up. You might form some sort of bias based upon where you put seasonality in the hierarchy. The problem is, what if price argues with seasonality? You might miss out on some really good opportunities or you might get hurt. So for me, seasonality goes below price. And then you can do that with everything, right? You can do that with the Fed. You can do that with narratives like let's say this uh, you know like we've been talking about lately about nuclear stocks and well there's this big narrative that countries are going back to nuclear power and that's going to be good for nuclear stocks over the long haul okay these are all parts of the puzzle but for me price has to always be the first input in your hierarchy it has to and not only does it have to be the first input the most important one, but it has to be overly weighted. Now, I don't know what that weighting is, but I could just like pull a weighting out of my ass and say 95%. It has to be 95%. You know, let's say it's not 90%. let us say it's in your hierarchy, it's 70%, right? So you're willing to give a little bit more leeway to price action. And then maybe 20% of your hierarchy of inputs is 
the Fed, and maybe 5% is seasonality, what, however you want to mix it up. Volume is one that people sometimes throw in there. Someone, sometimes people say, well, price did this, but volume didn't do this. And I give volume just as much weighting as price or a bigger weighting than some other things, whatever it is. But everybody's got to find their own sweet spot. And usually the best methodologies have little bits of different things. They're not overweighted on any one thing unless that thing is price. To quote my friend Brian Shannon, who says the quote is from someone else, but I don't care. I'll give him credit. Only price pays. Seasonality doesn't matter. Volume doesn't matter. Narrative doesn't matter. The Fed doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters if price is going the opposite direction. So as we are figuring out our methodologies, as we're refining our methodologies, it's just important not to get overly focused on one thing, one, one indicator, one study, one data point. And I think it behooves everybody to overweight their emphasis on price above everything else. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelungloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.